So this is the penultimate sermon. Next week will be the ultimate. We will have scaled the heights and the depths of the book of Deuteronomy. So I've timed it in such a way as to deny you their cutesy little Christmas ditty. Never-ending Deuteronomy. According to the word, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you again for your word. Thank you for how you change us when your spirit joins the truth of your word. We become different people. You form us more into the image of Christ. And so that's our prayer this morning, Lord, that we would be found to be more in your image because we have been together in your truth this morning. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And be seated. So observation number one, and that is that sin did not Sin could not separate Moses from God. Moses could have understandably been conflicted in this moment on the mountain with the Lord. On the the one hand, he would have certainly been overwhelmed and overjoyed by this vision that the Lord showed him of the entirety of the promised land and its beauty. The very last thing that Moses lays his eyes on before he dies. And yet at the same time, that joy was probably tempered by the knowledge that he's only permitted to see the promised land and not to enter into the promised land because of his sin against God. So for Moses, in this moment of death, here is his sin looming large again, though the sin that prevented his entrance to the promised land, was committed 40 years in the past. Here it is again. We know what that feels like, don't we? Sin that keeps coming back to us no matter how many years pass by. And if it's one time that you don't want your sin to resurface, if it's one time you just want your sin to go away, surely that is in the moment of death, right? It's true that when, for God, that when God forgives sin, he remembers it no more. But you and I, we remember it, don't we? And it's the knowledge of our sinfulness that can really of death. Such great hope for us in the moment of death. Verse 5 says that Moses died being just propositional truth that leaves us unmoved. Here is displayed the tenderness of God. In death. Question two He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Answer that question, if you will. It's a tough quiz, isn't it? If you're really supposed to come up with an answer. Question three Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies who is. Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, 
who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Last question. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress? We're connected to this love of God through faith in Christ, this cord of faith. And I think we're afraid that our sin can be like a butcher's knife and kind of cleave that cord, right? And cut us loose so that we drift further and further and further away from the love of God. But here's God. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Be the glory that your sin cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ. Observation two. Nothing can thwart the will of God that is always best and most beautiful. Verse 5 tells us that Moses died in Moab. And verse 6 tells us that God buried Moses and that no one even to this day knows where Moses is buried. You see, it is not God's will that Moses, just like his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac, and yet in his old age, Jacob had to leave the promised land and he had to go to Egypt. You remember the story? In order to survive the great famine. But when he died, he gave these instructions. Bury me with my fathers of Joseph. True story? I don't know. But sure enough, they removed the bones of Joseph and he is buried in the promised land. So Joseph made it. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Ah, oh, They all made it to the promised land. But not Moses. It's not God's will that he were, will enter the promised land in life or in death through the removal of his bones to that place. And so God made it so that no one could find his bones to move. Now look, Moses will enter the promised land. But he will enter the promised land on God's terms, not on human terms or by human will or by human action. And God's terms are so much better and so much more beautiful than ours. Matthew 17, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain. And there, Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Just then, there appeared before them, you know who, who? Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Come on. Standing on the mountain in the promised land, talking with a transfigured Jesus. Way better, right? Way better than fighting bloody battles to possess the promised land or even having your bones carried there. This was God's will for Moses and it was so much better. God's will can't be thwarted, and that's because his will is better and most beautiful. The great apostle Peter asked this question of himself. He knew the will of God, the plan of God, and it didn't seem like a good plan to him. It wasn't even a plan he was very excited about. He didn't think this plan could be or even should be, and yet it was God's will, and God did it. And so Peter says this, Who was I that I should stand in God's way? Who was I that I should, could stand in God's way? 
we should probably ask that question a lot more often. Who am I that I could stand in God's way for my life? Who am I to fight against it? Who am I not to embrace that plan? When I know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. There's a lot of all, all things going on in all of our lives right now. And your all is different from my all. And God somehow uses it all in ways that we can't imagine. Even our own sinfulness to bring about good for us, good for us, and to accomplish his will. Why would we want to thwart that best and beautiful plan or a lesser plan of our own devising? We should be thankful that we have a God who has a plan. We should be thankful that we have a God who is in control better than those who are supposed to be in control. We should be thankful for that plan and eager to take our place in it We should always be thankful. We should always sing to God be the glory that nothing can thwart the will of God. And that will is always best and most beautiful. Things started. Let me just say, not so. 120 for Moses' time was very old. Very old. But what is different here is the description of Moses. Here's the description of Isaac before he died. Isaac was laying in his bed. And he was blind. He couldn't see. And when Jacob, his son, came into him, he says, please sit up. Eat this food that I have brought to you. That was Jacob in his old age. Joseph, uh, I mean, Isaac in his old age. And Jacob wasn't very much different. Jacob's grandroom in Scripture says that Jacob had to summon his strength just to sit up in bed. And then he said to Joseph, who are these boys? He said, these are grandsons. But, But he was blind. He couldn't see. He looked at this old man and saw his strength. Now, did Moses eat right and exercise regularly? I I can't say. But this I know. Even if he did, that was not the task the Lord had given to him. Moses needed clear eyes to finish the task that the Lord had given to him. So the Lord gave simple. And that's how simply I want to look at my life. Exercise and eat right. He said after Thanksgiving, yes, because that honors the body the Lord has given us as a dwelling place. But it's the Lord who is our keeper. He will give us the strength that we need to finish the tasks that he has given to you and to me and and no more. You know, I had to go out. I had to shop this week. You know what I had to go buy? I had to go buy shoes with memory foam. Because I have a bruised heel. It hurt. Memory foam. I'm officially old. I missed a meeting Monday night because, yeah, my back did not cooperate. And so I missed this meeting. And so in the midst of all that, I thought of Moses and this passage. And I didn't lose heart because I thought, you know, the Lord will give to me and the Lord will give to you exactly the strength we need to do what he has called us to do. That's what he gave Moses. 
the strength that he needed to complete the task the Lord had given to him, and then Moses died. He didn't need the vigor any longer. He didn't need the clear vision any longer. Any more was redundant. It's as simple as that for Moses, for you, and for me. And so we should be thankful always. We should sing to God be the glory that he gives us the strength to do the job that he has called us to do. Observation four. God gives us bright hope for tomorrow. Therefore, we don't need to go back. God gives us bright hope for tomorrow. Therefore, we don't need to go back. See, Moses died in Moab. God buried him there, but did not reveal the burial place. Therefore, there is no place to which the people can return to visit the grave of Moses. To weep. To lament. If only we had another Moses. If only Moses could help us now. When God was speaking to Moses for the, from the burning bush, Moses asked the Lord, Lord, what if the people you send me to do not believe me or listen to me? Moses questioned with a question. Moses, what is that in your hand? And Moses answered, a staff. And that staff marked the ministry of Moses. He threw the staff down on the ground. It became a snake. He picked it up and became a staff again by the power of God. He stretched that staff out over the Nile River and the Nile turned to blood by the power of God. He stretched that staff out over the Red Sea and the Red Sea parted by the power of God. Staff is what was needed for Israel. But God knows that Moses' staff is not what's needed for Israel's future. Now the people of Israel need a sword to go back. It's for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Look, I've got friends, buddies, other past young Puritans, right? Our culture doesn't think like the Puritans thought. Our culture doesn't value what the Puritans value. And so it's like using a Moses staff in a Joshua reality. Please imagine... Joshua taking his staff in the promised land. Now you boys, back, back, back. No, Joshua didn't need a a staff. He needed a sword. Jeremiah 6.16 is often quoted in defense of going back. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Look. The verse says ancient path, right? Not ancient methodology. The ancient path is the truth of God that never changes ever throughout time, throughout generations, from one culture to the next. Moses' body is all that will be left behind, but the truth of God will continue on unchanged into the promised land. But how that truth is communicated and applied does change. Sometimes we need a staff. Sometimes we need a sword. Sometimes we need something totally different. And so we're to be forward-thinking and forward-living people, always moving toward the glorious hope and future. That's what the Apostle Paul did. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, 
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forward moving. But more importantly, and way better, that's what Jesus did. Luke 9. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. (laughs) Right? Jesus knew what was going to happen there, but he kept moving forward. You know what? We ought to be really thankful for that. What if he hadn't kept moving forward? What if Jesus decided to go back to the good old days? You know what the good old days were for Jesus? An eternity past. Where he dwelt in perfect, glorious fellowship with his Father in unmarred splendor of heaven. (laughs) That was Jesus' past. And so what if Jesus says, I want to go back. I want to go back. Instead of, I set my face to go forward to the cross. Where would we be if Jesus went back? We would have no hope and no future. But Jesus kept moving. Is that good news? And so should we. There are unique challenges for us to face. They lie ahead of us in our culture that continues to change so rapidly. But we go forward knowing that God has made us for this moment. Oh, look, look around you guys, young, old. We're here now by God's design. And he has gifted us in whatever way he has gifted us for this time and for no other time. And so when you and I faithfully seek to move forward and not backward, God will, I know he will, God will make a difference in this city and in this world through us for Jesus' sake. And so we ought always to be thankful and to sing to God be the glory that he gives us a bright hope for tomorrow. And so we don't need to go back. Observation number five, the final one. The Lord gives us himself, and that's all we need. The Lord gives us himself, and that's all we need. Again, verse 6 tells us that no one knows where God buried Moses. And since God determined to shroud the death of Moses in mystery, we must tread lightly. One commentator put it this way. It would be profanity to attempt to penetrate this mystery. But we do read this interesting bit of information about the the death of Moses in the book of Jude. It's in verse 9. And it says this, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. And so here's this dispute between the angel Michael And Satan over the body of Moses. Now, I'm not going to try to exegete this verse (laughs) or say where this story came from since it's not included in the Old Testament. Was it traditional? Was it inspired? Was it from a lost book? I don't know the answer to that question. But why did Satan want the body? What did he want to do with it? What was the dispute about over Moses' body? This is the time to call in the big guns to answer this question. So enter John Calvin, who writes this. 
What wonder then is it when the body of the prophet was hidden by God that Satan should attempt to make it known and that angels who are ever ready to serve God should on the other hand resist him? And doubtless we see that Satan almost in all ages has been endeavoring to make the bodies of God's saints idols to foolish men. Now, whether or not this is the reason for the dispute to prevent Moses' body from becoming an idol, we can say definitely that if the Israelites sought to make an idol of Moses because he was the greatest prophet who ever lived, and if they wanted to erect, this goal was absolutely forbidden by God. Forbidden to the human heart that won't be satisfied with God alone. It's read his place in redemptive history. It's the time of the Reformation, right? And superstition was everywhere in the church. And popes were venerated. And saints were venerated. And relics were sold. Andrew Butterfield is an art historian and scholar and author. And he, he writes this. I think it's really interesting. So you better find it interesting too. I'm going to read it to you. You ready? Here we go. Throughout much of history, and and, and we're almost done, so be of good cheer. (laughs) Throughout much of history, at the heart of every village, town, and city in Europe, there lay a dead body. It was a real body, a corpse. And whether intact or only a fragment of bone, hair, or flesh, it was believed to be magical and alive. Even more... It was only in the presence of this body and through its miraculous agency that one could supplicate God and be confident that God would listen. In times of crisis, in war, famine, plague, and drought, the promise of its protection was sought with the utmost fervor. Sometimes this promise was all one had. It was the first, last, and best of hopes. This little fragment. What exactly is a relic? The word literally means the things left behind. And the primary use of the term is for the body of a deceased holy person, whether intact or in part, no matter how small the fragment. But it was rare for sacred corpses to remain intact. This is so terrible. Because any body valued enough to be worshipped generally was cut up and divided among believers. Such was the desire for the miracle-working bodies of saints. (laughs) Listen to this. That occasionally guards had to watch over mortally ill holy men and women to prevent the unauthorized dismemberment of their corpses as soon as they died. Even the ground they walked on or were buried in was considered sacred and magical. In some periods, so much earth was taken from the place where Christ was crucified that new soil had to be brought in every night to refill the ground. Well, that was interesting, wasn't it? The only reason I read it, it kind of highlights in a big way the tendency of the human heart. And remember, we're talking here about those who, who claim faith in Christ. The tendency of the human heart to add to the completed work of Christ on the cross. We believe that that's not enough. 
The tendency of the human heart to worship something or someone other than Christ. The tendency of the human heart to put our hope in and seek security from something or someone other than Christ. Look, if Satan, our enemy, can convince us, even in the church, to do this, then he scores a great victory. And if Satan could cause God's people to venerate Moses, to go to Moses' grave to pray, to go to his grave and hope that Moses would in some way put in a good word for them and make God more willing to, to hear them, then Satan wins a victory because he has convinced God's people to believe untrue things about God. We make idols because we believe that Christ is not enough. We think there must be more. And so here's some good news. And if you haven't found a reason to be thankful for anything else, this should be it. We have a great high priest. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. See, Christ is all we need. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And we think we need a piece of bone or a hair of a dead person to put God in a better disposition to receive us. When Jesus gave his life for us. We believe we need some other good person to pray for us when Jesus intercedes on our behalf. We believe that there's actually something that we can do more than Christ has already done to put God in a better humor to receive us. It's no wonder Satan wanted the body of Moses to confuse us On these matters. But let's not bash. What the ancient Israelites. Might have done. And what the church. Until the time of the reformation. Most certainly did do. Let's look at our own lives. And answer this question. Is Jesus. Enough for you. And if not. Why not. And do you keep your eyes fixed on him or do your eyes wander for help and hope in another direction? If so, you are deceived. In Christ and in Christ alone, your hope and your help is found. So to God be the glory that Christ has found us. So be thankful always. Sing to God be the glory that sin cannot separate us from God. 
Be thankful always and sing to God be the glory that nothing can thwart the will of God that is always best and most beautiful. Be thankful always and sing to God be the glory that God gives us his strength for the job that he calls us to do. Be thankful always and sing to God be the glory that he gives us a bright hope for tomorrow. We don't need to go back. Be thankful always and sing to God be the glory that God gives us himself and that's all we need. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for time in your word. Father, I pray that these observations that I've made have been true and right ones according to your word. Father, I pray that we would use each of them to make us more joyful and thankful people. We need to be more thankful. And here are not 10,000 reasons, but here are five reasons, Lord, to give you thanks for who you are and for what you have done for us. And Father, I pray for each of us that the deepest satisfaction of our hearts and our souls and our lives would come from knowing you. And Lord, that you would enable us Empower us never to look elsewhere for what you and you alone can do and have done for us. To God be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.